Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Tim, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Sure, Robbie. Thanks. My name is Tim Brennan. Um, I've been involved. Uh, I'm what you would call a second generation researcher into uh, uh, things, including the Kennedy assassination. I'm a co-author of uh, five books, uh, one on JFK, one on RFK, one on RFK Jr., one on Lee Harvey Oswald. And uh, just published this month is a book on Operation Mockingbird, which is a CIA program intended to put uh, CIA employees on the rolls of every major American media news outlet. So those five books are all available on uh, Amazon.com or on our website, which is www.thejfkassassination.com. Looks like I'll be having you back on four more times after this one. We're gonna we're gonna stick with the JFK subject on this one. I've talked to Gary a couple of times on the show. Um, it's nice to finally get to meet you. I know you co-author a bunch of books with them. But what was your interest into the JFK assassination? I'm guessing that started it off like it did for everybody into looking to other political assassinations too. Well, uh, the first interest was uh, if you ask anybody over the age of six where they were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, they'll tell you with absolute precision where they were. I was in, uh, I was an 11 year old. I was in, I think it was fourth grade. Um, I was in a Catholic high school uh, because I grew up in an Irish Catholic democratic political family with politicians on both sides of the equation. My mom's mother, my father's father. Uh, so the house was always full of blowhards from, from, uh, from the political circles. Anyway, we were in uh, school uh, news came over the PA that the president had been shot. Uh, I don't know if they knew then that he was actually dead or not. They asked us to start praying. So like good little Christians, we all started praying. Brian, uh, about 15 minutes later, uh, the PA came on again and said that uh, the buses were outside to take us home some two hours early. I got home. Uh, of course, my mother was in front of the TV like most of the world watching what was going on crying. And at some point afterwards, I saw a picture of Lyndon Johnson for the first time in my life. I had never seen the man. We all certainly knew who John F. Kennedy was as the first Irish Catholic uh, president, but I had no idea who Lyndon Johnson was. And I, I think it was a still photograph of him taking the oath of office in Lord Air Force One. And I looked at the man and I said to my mother, I don't trust that man. And she looked at me with her, you know, her jaw almost hit the floor. It was almost like blasphemy to say that you, you know, you didn't trust another Democratic uh, candidate or, or uh, political person. And she said, why don't you trust him? And I said, because he looks evil. And my mother, and, you know, we, we didn't talk anymore about it, but obviously uh, most researchers, 99 point some percentage of researchers who have really looked into the assassination will tell you that uh, beyond any shadow of a doubt, LBJ was uh, intimately involved with uh, JFK's assassination. So that kind of sprung uh, a, uh, a, uh, a lifelong uh, politicians in office, regardless of party. Uh, and as, you know, in my opinion, now they're all out for themselves and you know, to heck with the people who put them in office. It's amazing how many people go into office and they make salaries like the average middle middle uh, wage earner would, and they come out and they're all millionaires. And I, I ask myself over and over again, how does this happen? But anyway, we call that insider trading. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, how uh, in 1994, I met my co-author and quite honestly, my best friend uh, Gary Fannin, and uh, he at that point in time had you know been doing a lot of research into the assassination. We started talking about it, and. Uh, I ventured forth the idea to him that Lyndon Johnson was intimately involved. And at the time, he did not believe that. He had heard it, but he didn't really believe it. And so the more we both continued to look into it and to find out information that, in fact, corroborated that, uh, he eventually became a believer and now, of course, a staunch believer that uh, JFK was involved. So that, uh, that, that and, and not only was uh, uh, LBJ involved, but uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was absolutely 100% completely innocent of anything, uh, including the murder of uh, J.D. Tippett. And so uh, 
we just began to do a lot of research and and uh, uh, came out with uh, Gary actually wrote the first version of the Innocence of Oswald uh, by himself. I didn't have anything to do with it. And then uh, he came to me at some point later. He was ready to do a second edition that contained a lot of new information that had been uh, released by the Assassination Records Review Board, uh, I think in 2020, maybe, or 2019. And he came to me and said, look, you're an excellent writer. You always have been. You know, how would you like to help me uh, do the second version of my book? Uh, um, I love to write, and a lifelong writer jumped in on the opportunity. And, and we published that first book uh, in November of last year on the 22nd, an interesting date. We published Marked for or JFK, Marked for Death. Since then, have published uh, RFK, Marked for Death, um, JFK Jr., Marked for Death, and, uh, and now Operation Mockingbird. And we have other uh, books in what we're calling the Marked for Death series. Uh, in the planning stages, one will be on Martin Luther King, one will be on Malcolm X. Uh, and I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but we've just, you know, the more, what's really interesting, Robbie, is the more you look into all of these things, you start to see common threads in all of them. Um, I will go to my grave absolutely convinced that the CAA has been behind them all. Uh, they were, in my opinion, intimately involved in JFK Jr.'s assassination in our book on, that we just released on JFK Jr., there's a four-page FBI memo that they never intended to become public, but uh, a gentleman that we know somehow got his little hands on it, and it admits this is an FBI official memo where they admit there was explosive residue on the tail plane, uh, on the tail section of that airplane. It was blown out of the air. It was not a case of him being, you know, disoriented in fog and losing his way. Uh, it was murder, quite honestly. So that's a long-winded answer to a short, what should have been a short answer, Robbie, but. No, it was perfect. It was good stuff. Um, I got to ask, because I'm not in the LBJ camp of he pulled the trigger. I am in the camp that he was part of the cover-up, just because there's a lot of interesting things that happen. But maybe you could kind of show me what you've seen or your points on LBJ being a part of it. I mean, the wink is pretty just despicable in general when he's taking the oath. And I think he turns to someone on the plane and does this massive wink. But like I said, I, I've never focused on who did the shots. I know a lot of people go, how do you not care about that? I was like, I'm more about trying to get the accurate data from 63 to now to see for my generation, just to give them some context to the situation that things don't always have to be roll your eyes conspiracy. There are real conspiracies. So could maybe you could show me some of the things that you've looked into about LBJ? Sure. Um, and first of all, I mean, there's a, there's a backdrop to that all. And that fact is that LBJ, uh, beginning with the Box 13 scandal, where he rigged the ballot box with the help of his campaign manager, John Conley, by the way, to uh, win election to the Senate, I think it was 1948. Um, and uh, before and since then, including twice while he was in the office as vice president, ordered murders to get rid of people who were in his way. One of those murders while he was vice president was his own sister, who he had murdered on Christmas Day. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, he had his own sister, Josepha, murdered on Christmas Day because she was a uh, drug addict and an alcoholic, had loose lips. And now that he was in office, he was afraid that she knew all his dirty little secrets, and those secrets might come out. So if that doesn't speak to the man's, you know, how vile of a creature he was, uh, the night before the assassination, so this is on uh, November 21st, 1963, there was a party uh, at the house of Clint Murchison, who was an LBJ crony, one of the richest oil Texas guys, Texas oil men, excuse me. And uh, it was an interesting guest list. Uh, it included uh, Richard Nixon, Hoover, uh, the head of the CIA, the head of the World Bank, Gerald Ford, uh, and others. So, uh, Matt and Madeline Brown, who was uh, LBJ's mistress for many years, who had an illegitimate child with LBJ, uh, was there. At about uh, sometime, maybe 10, 11 that night, LBJ came in to the, to the party late. All the men sequestered themselves behind closed doors in a study. They emerged about a half hour later. Now, this again, Hoover's there, uh, Ford's there, a, a litany of the who's who 
the head of the World Bank, all there, they emerge. And he said to Madeline Brown, Johnson said to his mistress, Madeline Brown, after tomorrow, and this is a quote, after tomorrow, those blankety-blank Kennedys will never bother me again. That isn't a threat. That's a promise. Now, Madeline was shocked, but she didn't question him because he'd been drinking and he was known to be a very vile, uh, angry drunk. And so the next morning, she called him up again. This is the morning of the assassination. And she said, Lyndon, did you mean what you said last night? And he repeated, and again, this is a quote, after, after today, those blankety-blank Kennedys will never bother me again. That isn't a threat. That's a promise. Now, if, if that isn't enough conclusive information that not only did he participate in the planning, that he participated in the cover-up, uh, I don't know more, how much more compelling uh, that could be. Madeline Brown is on record. Uh, it, you know, you can find a video of as having said that. There's another video of her saying that it was the CIA and the Texas oil men uh, behind the assassination. We know there were certainly others, including the Dallas police and the CIA. You look stunned, Robbie. I wouldn't say I'm stunned. It's just there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of people that's made statements about killing JFK. The mob did. I believe the military industrial complex, but even Richard Nixon and the Teamsters or his little Operation 40 or his squad that he had, um, the Watergate plumbers were involved with that Howard Hunt, Frank Sturgis. I mean, there's weight to that as well, too. And Nixon and Johnson had a really close relationship, surprisingly. A lot of people don't really realize that. So, I mean, maybe he knew something if you want to think the Nixon thing or if you want to think LBJ's behind it. Both of them had to talk about something. except They both said off-color statements about Kennedy. Uh, Nixon with the Bay of Pigs fiasco. Uh, he mentions that to reporters. We don't repeat that situation. And then LBJ with what you just said. It's just, why would he put himself in the motorcade then if he knew shots were going to ring out at Kennedy? Well, there's two interesting things about the motorcade. Number one, usually the press bus was in front of the motorcade. That day, it was at the very back of the motorcade. They didn't want any press people around to see what was going to happen. Number two, usually Kennedy's uh, physician, uh, Admiral Berkeley, would be in the middle seat between the two Secret Service guys, the driver and the passenger. Uh, he was relegated back to the press bus or one car in front of the press bus. See, him being there, him not being there, allowed for shots from the front, whether they came from the right or the left. Uh, and we, in fact, believe one did. The shot that hit Kennedy in the throat came to, in front to his left. The shot that killed him, of course, came from behind the picket fence, uh, front, uh, from the right and the front. And so, uh, and then if you look at all of the uh, transgressions that the, CIA, that the Secret Service participated in that, you know, when that happened, there should have never been any open windows along the parade route. Had they noticed those, they would have gone into that building, found out who was behind that open window. Even if there was no one there, they would have closed it. So the parade route was changed somehow two days before. It was supposed to never come down Elm to Houston making those two right turns, he was supposed to go straight. And uh, again, that wouldn't allow the president, that was designed, let me say that, that was designed to let the president come into a kill zone and stop the CIA car below the speeds that were mandated by normal C uh, Secret Service protocol. Uh, and the other interesting thing that's uh, about the whole the sequence of shots during the assassination was, if you're gonna kill somebody, why wouldn't you kill them when they're coming straight at you down Elm, right? Their head would look like a pumpkin. And you get, I don't care how bad of a shot you were with a scope, which the rifle had, you couldn't possibly miss. Why would you wait for him to make that turn and start going down, you know, down and away from you instead of hitting him when he would have been the, that would have been the much easier shot. And the reason for that was they wanted to get him into that kill zone. If you look, uh, into uh, what what the military would call a triangulation kill. It's, it's shots that come from three different directions, okay? They want to make sure that whoever they're targeting will, in fact, be mortally wounded, will be taken out. And that is exactly what happened. They drove Kemi into a kill zone uh, on that day. He was never, ever going to get out of Dealey Plaza alive. Did you examine Johnson's actions after the Kennedy assassination to find anything suspicious about him? Uh, no, I have. I'm not sure if Gary and I ever really talked much about that. Uh, but you know, 
well, you may not know, uh, the Secret Service uh, commandeered Kennedy's body uh, from Parkman Hospital with guns drawn to prevent the Dallas County coroner, who was highly thought of, highly esteemed, from doing, from doing the autopsy because it would have proven that there were uh, that the fatal shot came from the front, not the back, as the Warren Commission would have you believe. And, and think about this. They illegally, it was not a crime to assassinate the president in 1963. So that was an open homicide in uh, the city of Dallas, in the county of Dallas. They should have been in complete control of anything that happened to the body, uh, anything before it was ever removed from Dallas or Dallas County. It, the Secret Service should have never had anything to do with that. Thoroughly illegal. Um, and it just go, it just, again, it goes to speak to the actions that they all took uh, to make sure that they could cover it up to the best of their ability. And, you know, in some ways, they've still gotten away with it today because in schools across this country, they're still teaching that Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy when, in fact, it's an absolute complete lie. Even Johnson shared his doubt that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald lone nut scenario. He thought it was the Cubans. Well, they made they made for easy fall, guys, because, uh, you know, we were still very much in the Cold War. Uh, we were still uh, there was still a lot of anti-Cuban sentiment in this country among all people. Um, they still wanted Castro out of Cuba. I, I think. An office that they could somehow orchestrate that. Uh, once LBJ got in office, but they had bigger fish to fry. Uh, normally, a little boiling pot in Southeast Asia called Vietnam. That's what they really wanted. And, you know, you talk about uh, the the take that Gary and I uh, used to write our book, Mark for Death, JFK, was who stood to lose. Um, and I, this was my idea. I said, look, because if, if, I love reading, you know, true crime stuff and uh, watching true crime stuff on television. You know, you look for whatever happened, who stood to lose, okay, or who stood to gain, more importantly, all right? So the take that we use in uh, JFK, Mark for Death, is who stood to lose? And if you look at who stood to lose, uh, the biggest named individual was LBJ, because he, A, was not going to be on the ticket in 64. He already knew that. Uh, it was probably going to be Bobby. Uh, it might have been Adlai Stevenson, but it was not going to be JFK, and he knew it. Uh, I'm not going to be LBJ. Moreover, uh, LBJ was about to go to prison. Uh, some of his skunk work stuff with uh, Lee Estes and others, the murders that uh, he uh, committed, uh, were being investigated. Uh, the Kennedys already had, they, they had spent all their time in office digging up dirt on LBJ. And they had plenty of information that would have sent him to prison, and he knew it. Uh, how did he know it? Because he had a Life magazine at the time, was an ex-CIA guy, okay? Life magazine had already published one article uh, that began to implicate LBJ. The second article was due to be published, I think it was the next week after the assassination. That would have been the nail in the coffin had uh, Kennedy lived that would have probably sent LBJ to prison. So this was a man who not only would never be vice president again, he would never be president again, and he was going to go to jail. Uh, who else stood to lose? The CIA. Kennedy had said, I will break them into a thousand pieces and scatter them into the wind. He was embarrassed by the uh, Bay of Pigs. He knew he couldn't trust them, and uh, and and they were going to go. He had told Hoover, when I'm in office next next term, I'm going to force you to retire when you hit age 70. Uh, you know, Hoover uh, did not like to be told what to do on by anybody, and he kept dirt on everybody, including the Kennedys, but he couldn't, you know, by step a federal law that says you hit age 70, you've got to retire. By the way, I wish that law was still in place today. Um, but, uh, okay, so Hoover, um, uh, the uh, the Dallas Police Department, who allowed a CAA operative to be put on their payroll six weeks before the assassination as a uh, photographic assistant or something like that, that was, um, uh, oh God, I forget the name now, um, Roscoe White, who not only knew uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, he had served with Lee Harvey Oswald in Japan uh, in, in the early 60s. Uh, they were both 
they both interpreted reconnaissance by planes that were flying over Russia. So they worked together. They knew each other. Um, so the Dallas Police Force was also uh, in the know. Some of them, not all of them, were in the know about what was going to happen on November 22nd, 1963. See, so, Gary's explained that to me before about Roscoe White, but I'm still new to Roscoe White. I know that the photograph, if you look closely, it does. I think Gary talks about it. it that Oswald's face where he says, it's not my face or that's me, but that's not my face. Like I never was in that photo. But Roscoe White and Gary's done great work on that to be able to see that. But you, I mean, do you believe that like with the photographs and everything like that, that that's Roscoe White? I mean, do you believe that it was this connection that they somehow got a CIA person in the Dallas police? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I, in fact, uh, in our book, there are two cables from the office of, uh, uh, Naval Investigation, their offices, uh, OSI, whatever. There are two cables that were sent to Roscoe White. Uh, his code name was Mandarin. And on those cables, they have his his discharge number from when he was in the Marines. Uh, interestingly enough, it ends in 666. Uh, but that was his code number. And he went by the name Mandarin. And these two cables are, you know, two Mandarin. And there's a few things that are redacted, but it's very clear. They said... The first one says the target has changed and the target at that time was Castro has changed to someone who's a threat to world peace, which is real interesting because that's what Kennedy wanted. And then it directed him to Dallas. There's another one afterwards. It says stay in place. Uh, men are being sent to help cover things up, await further instructions. Both of those addressed to Roscoe White. And then, of course, some years later, after Roscoe died, mysteriously himself, um, his son Ricky found his uh, assassinations uh, something book. It had a list of 28 people that he had killed worldwide, Roscoe White. Uh, every one of them was a witness to the assassination other than the last one, which was President John F. Kennedy. He also admitted to killing uh, a police officer on 10th and Patton. Well, that was in fact Roscoe White's partner, J.D. Tippett who he killed about an hour and a half after the assassination. And now this is conjecture to a degree, but there were two images that were caught uh, behind the fence uh, above the grassy knoll. Uh, one we believe was Roscoe White. The other we believe was J.D. Tippett. And we, we believe J.D. JD Tippett's job after the shooting was to go into the Texas School Book Depository building and either apprehend or kill Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Now, when he failed to do that, A, because the parade route was 15 minutes late, B, because Oswald was never on the sixth floor. He was seen several times on the second floor having lunch. When everything started, he ran out of the building. He didn't run out of the building. He would have went outside to see what all the commotion was. Um, so when Tippett failed to execute that part of the mission, he could not be left alive uh, in case he might spill his guts about what was supposed to happen. And Tippett, in, uh, Roscoe, in fact, killed his own partner at 10th and Patton. And he admitted as such uh, in the diary that his son Ricky found. Now, Ricky made the unfortunate mistake of sending that diary to the FBI. and It was never seen again. But he had made copies of some of the stuff. And some of that information is available and shown in our book. So... You know, it's funny, uh, Gary and I did a book signing earlier this, uh, just this past weekend, and we were talking to a professor at uh, Moorhead University in Moorhead, Kentucky. And, you know, he's been a, a person who studied this and other highly sensitive issues in assassinations. And, and I said, the more and more you dig into this stuff, the more intertwined it all becomes. And sooner or later, you just, you have a, uh, you know, least common denominator of parties or individuals who they simply by default had to be involved either in the planning of the assassination or in its cover-up. And it's uh, it's mind-boggling, Robbie. I, and I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, when we first spoke, I commended you. Uh, there's no reason for you to be interested in the JFK assassination at all. You're young. You were, you were I mean, born decades after that. But there's a reason Gary and I try to get out and talk in front of people. This is the colleges across the country 
usually they have to be liberal colleges because the conservative colleges are all owned by somebody uh, and get some people of your generation and maybe the generation before you interested because we're not going to be around forever. The truth has to come out, Robbie. And this is one of the reasons why most people have no idea that there was actually uh, an assassination attempt on Jimmy Carter shortly after he took office. Um, I don't know if you knew that. Most people have no idea. But he, uh, Carter was due to uh, give a talk in uh, Los Angeles. And the FBI came to him and said, we've uncovered a plot uh, against you. And you're not doing that talk. And we're going to get you out of here. OK. Well, the two people that they took into uh, custody but never charged with anything, uh, one was named uh, Lee Harvey Lee something, Lee Harvey something, and the other was Oswaldo Ortiz, right? Lee Harvey Oswald, the two names. You put them together, you got Lee Harvey Oswald. That was a clear message to Carter to not continue to fund the House Committee on Select Assassinations, number one, and to not stick his nose into trying to uncover who killed John F. Kennedy. Uh, you may not remember, may not have heard that shortly after Carter took office. He said, made a statement to the effect, our country will never get back to where we were until we find out who killed John F. Kennedy. So Carter intended to continue looking into it. He intended to continue to fund the House Committee on Select Assassinations. And after that, he let it drop. When the HSCA concluded their first sessions, they said this was a conspiracy. It was not a lone shooter. And they recommended that the Department of Justice investigate further. To this day, that has never happened. Do you think that we've ever had a real investigation into the assassination of President Kennedy, or do you think that everything had a predetermined conclusion? Well, certainly the Warren Commission did. The only reason that LBJ formed the Warren Commission was that his political advisors had told him, look, you've got to do something to put this to rest. Uh, if you don't, it's going to hurt your chances to be reelected. Uh, the war was going on. People were starting to get unhappy with that. Um, so he formed that commission and it was, it was, you know, committee designed by a swing designed by committee. They had a preordained purpose and that was to, uh, clearly to the best ability, prove that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only one involved in the shooting beyond any shadow of a doubt. Uh, they took and recorded testimony from anyone who agreed with the original story of Oswald being the shooter and did not take testimony from anyone who refuted that. Um, and then it, and then the worst of all, uh, they put the fox in charge of the hen house. Johnson put Alan Dulles in charge of the committee. JFK had fired Dulles as the head of the CIA after the Bay of Pigs. That was his first part of intent to dismantle the CIA. So Dulles had it in for Kennedy bad. And Johnson puts him in charge of the uh, of the investigation. So it was a it, it was a sham uh, committee purpose. Uh, there was only no semblance of truth in it. It's 23 volumes of fiction that rival anything the Brothers Grimm ever wrote, um, whatever it was. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it was a joke. It was a complete joke. And in fact. Uh, you know, uh, later they killed one of the one of the one of their own hail box. Hail box. Yeah. Okay. So you believe that too? I do, hundred percent. That plane goes. That's how it happened. Dag Hammarskjöld is a great example. But you're like you're looking at like what you mentioned, all the political assassinations, MLK, JFK, RFK. Look, there ain't that many lone assassins. I haven't heard of a lot of it since. But it was like that method of strategic, I don't know, operation of how they got things done, like John Lennon and all this. It's all very lone assassin type but the thing about the warren commission that's interesting is they had 592 witnesses um to the warren commission i think there was only 93 meetings and no member was there at any one of all of the meetings so that you had i think the top percentage i think was alan dulles and the lowest percentage was like boggs but one interesting thing is that the people that they interviewed in the Warren Commission were family members that were not even in Dealey Plaza when they the shots rang out. They had Marina Oswald, Jack Ruby's associates, the Ruth Paynes, and a bunch of people. And Marguerite Oswald was in there, but none of body, nobody that was actually in Dealey Plaza. And the people that they did get, very few, 
they were like um Dallas police and people that were government officials, some secret service people. And same thing with the HSCA. I had a uh, Greg Ciccone on here and he did the Dealey Plaza witness map to plot where all these people were standing and all these people that could have been interviewed. He told me that the HSCA came up with 692 or 632 witnesses in Dealey Plaza, but they have no conclusion of how they even came to that number. Were they counting heads and photographs or things of that sort? They never gave an explanation. And the people that they did interview, I think out of like the number that they took testimony from like 236, most of them were people that were saying it came from the Texas School Book Depository. They did take statements from people who said it came from the null, but they just put their statements off to the side. And all the people that they did interview were police people and literally more than what was in the actual like motorcade. So they were just interviewing everyone in the motorcade and then maybe some officials around. So they never even took actual testimony from witnesses. Everybody had to be a government employee. Well, yeah. And also, if you happen to look at a, uh, you know, uh, like a landscape uh, view of Dealey Plaza, uh, that might have been seen from the side where where you can see the Texas School Book Depository building. You can see Dealey Plaza. You can see the people across the street. There weren't 693 people there. Are you kidding me? There was anywhere close. It wasn't this throng of people that were elbow to elbow. There, there, there was plenty of room for everybody to walk around. Nobody was crowded on each other. Uh, there weren't that many people at Dealey Plaza. I don't think there were that many people, including uh, the the entourage. Of, of limousines and other vehicles that were part of the parade. So it, you know, uh, the other thing interesting about the committee, Johnson picked that committee without telling anybody, uh, including the people who were on the committee. He announced the committee, including its members, before he asked anybody to be on the committee. And there were several people who wanted nothing to do with it. And, you know, Johnson pretty much strong-armed them saying, look, you are going to be on this committee or you'll be looking for something else to do. And so you've got a committee that didn't want to be a committee, that didn't know there was a committee, that, that, that then they get pretty much instructed, this is what your findings are going to be, and, and they have to go try to figure out how to make it all happen. And, and the wildest thing is that magic bullet theory that uh, you, you will never find any arms expert ever to go, oh, yeah, that's possible. It's not. It's impossible. I forget the great. He said, "Trying to prove the magic belt is." Oh, not, who, Garrison said this during the trial of Clay Shaw. He said, "They want us to believe that that's possible, and if it is possible, then it's also possible for an elephant to hang by his tail uh, off a crazy, you know, which is which is a great metaphor. It's impossible. the The magic bullet could never have happened, and yet." They put that out there to the American public going, oh, here you idiots, believe this. And, and most of America believed it. And it really wasn't until the Zapruder film was shown by Robert Groden uh, on the Geraldo show, uh, along with the comedian Dick Gregory, that the American people saw for the first time that Kennedy's head did not go violently forward, as Dan Rather said the day after the assassination, uh, the singing canary, Dan Rather. Uh, his head, in fact, was blown violently backwards, and then it came forward as recoil. But that's what anything would do. You get hit, you come back. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Physics will prove that was a natural thing to happen. And you can see the front of his head explode. You can see doctor after doctor at Parkman going, they're pointing entrance wound here, back of head blown off. And... The Warren Commission concluded there were three shots, uh, one missed, the other two hit, including the magic bullet that uh, killed uh, killed uh, John F. Kennedy and wounded Connolly. Connolly himself, uh, I, I was not hit by the same bullet that hit President Kennedy, and they tried to put that off as Connolly being in uh, post-surgical trauma or, you know, suspension of disbelief or whatever. They tried to poo-poo it. What Connie really should have been irritated about is that they let the assassination go forward, LBJ knew it, and put Connie in harm's way. But of course, he and Johnson had too much history together. I'm sure they had a spirited conversation at some point uh, along the lines of, how could you let me be put in harm's way well, that's, and almost killed? 
that's the actual thing at Love Field when they were arguing about who was riding with Connolly and J Kennedy told Johnson, then you can fucking walk. Um, maybe I used the curse word. I don't know if he used the curse word, but he told Johnson, then he, uh, Connolly can get out and walk. Then he's not riding with you. And it was because Kennedy wanted Connolly in his car and Johnson wanted his, his friend Connolly in his car. Yep, exactly. Johnson knew what was going to happen. He didn't want Connolly in the car, but Kennedy demanded it because he wanted to show the city of Dallas in good faith that he was working, you know, with one of their own. Um, Secret Service protocol will not allow for the president and vice president to ride in the same vehicle, nor fly on the same plane. So that that's understandable. But I think I told you earlier, uh, there's a film and it's hard to find, but it's out there. Uh, that shows a picture of Johnson ducking behind the, the seat of his car before the first shot was even fired because he knew it was about to happen. So, you know, he knew uh, and he participated in it, not just to cover up. Certainly, you know, the fact that it happened uh, in, a, in a major city in Dallas uh, is proof enough that Johnson was involved because he could control any investigation into it. Uh, he and uh, uh, the uh, the lawyer, can't think of his name right now. Arlen they ran Texas. Arlen Specter? No, 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 no. Uh, the the firm that uh, uh, LBJ, uh, Ed Clark, the Ed Clark worked. That uh, didn't work for them, but he was a uh, he and Ed Clark were in cahoots, and together they pretty much ran Texas. So they could control anything that happened. Uh, in fact, um, our friend Byron McClellan wrote a fabulous book called blood money and power how lbj killed jfk and uh he is uh, on tape he said uh i know for a fact that lyndon johnson because he was a lawyer at the Clark law firm okay he said i know for a fact that lbj killed jfk he did it to become president he did it to stay out of prison and there is no doubt in my mind that lbj killed JFK. The book is a fabulous book uh, written from someone at the Ed Clark Law Firm. Uh, it was, I won't say it was common knowledge, but it was a parochial knowledge within the Ed Clark Law Firm that LBJ was involved in killing JFK. Did, do you think the Secret Service was involved or in on the plot to kill Kennedy? Absolutely. Uh, Emery Roberts, who was the secret uh, the uh, uh, agent in charge of the Dallas Strip, uh, and first of all, Kennedy had to be coerced. He didn't want to come to Dallas. The uh, the person who convinced him to come to Dallas was none other than John Connolly. Now, again, I don't know if Connolly had knowledge beforehand or not, but he is the one that convinced uh, Kennedy that he had to come to Dallas, that he needed the, the Texas vote uh, in 64, or he, he risked not being elected. And uh, as you recall, the first election was the closest election in U.S. history. Uh, a lot of people believe that uh, the mafia helped fix that. Uh, the mafia in Chicago and the mafia in Texas uh, helped fix that vote uh, in order to get Kennedy elected. And that's very plausible because the mafia and Joe Kennedy Sr. Uh, went way back. They had deep ties. They worked together. Uh, they, they did all kinds of things together that were uh, thoroughly illegal. And Kennedy Sr. had, in fact, promised Sam Giancana when I get into the White House, You'll have unfettered access to anything that happens in the White House. Well, Gene Khanna got the whole uh, Chicago outfit to $25,000 towards Kennedy's campaign. I mean, many things sunk Nixon in that. But uh, there's uh, some quotes from Jimmy Hoffa when he was upset because he had donated like $500,000 or something like that from the Teamsters Union's pension to Nixon's campaign. And next thing you know, all his mob friends are basically going for Kennedy. And he was like, what, why, what, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it. Yeah, the whole thing's real interesting. I mean, the, what what really screwed it up for the Kennedys, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the mafia, is that Joe Senior never told JFK or RFK about the promise he had made to Giancana. So Robert gets in office, and you know he had it in for the mafia bad, and he was sending mafia leaders, having them you know kicked out of the country. In one case, dropped off into the jungle in South America. Uh, the guy actually managed to find his way back and come back into America. They tried to have him thrown out, but it didn't work. So certainly the mafia was somebody who had it out for JFK. I, I personally, I'm not sure whether they were involved or not. But I don't, they did have. 
I don't think so either. I'm with you on that. I just like learning about them because there's interesting historical connections um, that I feel like are important for a younger generation like myself to even talk about. Now, I get some people can go with the mob did do it. I think there's a movie coming out about it. I just think they couldn't manipulate uh, autopsy. They couldn't destroy photographs. They couldn't get rid of a brain. This is all something that had to be do done with someone that had some connections somewhere high up. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole thing, it, it's a. Uh... I say it's the darkest day in American history, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Um, uh, had he been reelected, uh, we would have been completely out of South Vietnam by the end of 1964. He had already issued an executive order to begin removing trips, uh, troops and, and quote unquote advisors from uh, Southeast Asia by the end of night with, with the net effect, they would all be out of office by the end of 1964. The very first thing LBJ did when he got in office was to negate Kennedy's executive order and issue his own, uh, ordering increased U.S. presence in Vietnam. So if you want to blame anybody on Vietnam, blame LBJ. He was responsible for 50,000 American deaths in Vietnam. And I think that's one of the reasons that he refused to run for reelection. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons that when he left office, he became a recluse at his ranch in Texas. And uh, one of the reasons that he, in fact, died, uh, I personally believe he was poisoned uh, by the same people that he had helped put everything together. Was that uh, in, in one of his ice creams that he'd always – have you ever heard those old calls where there's like, he gets just ice cream after ice cream? I'm like, bro, to be just uh, – that's what I would do if I was an old man. I mean, when Johnson died, he looked like Howard Hughes. Had long, stringy hair, never washed, long fingernails. He was consumed with guilt over what he had done during his life, not just to J.F. Kennedy, but to his, you know, his own people like his sister. Um, LBJ was easily the most corrupt, vile president we've ever had. And, you know, and that's there's there's a list of people that might qualify for that. But but he was certainly I, I don't imagine how you could have your own sister murdered on Christmas Day of all days. How did uh, the, how did the murder take place? I got to hear about this. Well, his hitman. LBJ had a hitman. It's hard to believe, right? A president with a hitman uh, was a guy named uh, Malcolm Wallace. So he worked for LBJ. Uh, his method of getting rid of people was carbon monoxide. So he would make it look like it was a suicide. And that is, that's, in fact, what happened to uh, uh, LBJ's sister, Josefa. Uh, uh, he, uh, they believe he uh, would hit the people with chloroform first, chloroform, and then put them in the vehicle and turn the vehicle on and and wait until he knew they were dead and then simply walk away. So uh, the most interesting thing about the, there's a couple of very interesting things about Malcolm Wallace uh, that tie him to Lyndon Johnson and to the assassination. One was uh, they found a fingerprint on a piece of cardboard in the uh, the sixth, uh, sixth story floor, sixth floor window where Oswald supposedly was, they found a cardboard. It had a fingerprint on it, a pinky finger. They sent the uh, fingerprint to the world's foremost fingerprint guy, who eventually found 36 points of matching that the fingerprint belonged to uh, uh, Malcolm Wallace. Okay, this is JFK's assassin, right? The guy said, yeah, you only need a 12-point match to go to court and prove that this belongs to somebody. He had a 36-point match, okay? Uh, they then sent the match to the FBI. The FBI uh, studied it, said, it's not a match, and oh, we lost the fingerprint. Oh, don't be us. We lost the fingerprint. Unbelievable. Here's the second thing about Malcolm Wallace and Lyndon Johnson. Malcolm Wallace, in broad daylight, walked into a pro shop in Texas, a golf pro shop, and in front of Many people uh, shot the head pro, uh, Douglas Kinzer, to death and walked out. Now, they got his uh, license plate number. He got pulled over uh, 12 miles away by the uh, Texas State Police, or an organization like that. And he said, you can't arrest me. I work for Senator Johnson. Well, nonetheless, they arrest him. He goes to trial. Johnson has one of his buddies instilled as the judge. Okay, Johnson takes up residence in the hotel across the street 
for the whole duration of the trial, the jury comes back, uh, 11 want the death penalty, the other wants life in prison without parole. The judge gets their recommendations, sentences Wallace to five years of probation and suspends that sentence. Okay, Malcolm Wallace walked out of prison, the only person in the history of the state of Texas ever to be convicted of first degree murder and walk away a free man the same day because of Linda Johnson's influence. So it's called a brief moment of insanity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so Johnson's uh, power was evident even then. This is like back in 1952. Uh, I forgot to mention that uh, Kisner had been having an affair with Malcolm Wallace's wife and with uh, Josepha Johnson. So that's why he was sent. That's why Wallace was sent to kill him and uh, walks away a free man after a trial and, and being basically convicted, walks away a free man. So uh, Johnson, Wallace, uh, and, and when uh, years later, uh, Johnson was dead, Wallace was dead. Wallace died mysteriously of a single car accident on a beautiful dry summer day of somewhere in the hinterlands of Texas. No autopsy ever done. Uh, no autopsy ever done on Josephine Johnson. It's Texas law that you have to have an autopsy in a circumstance like that. No autopsy's ever done. No autopsy's ever done on many of the witnesses who were mysteriously killed after the assassination. No autopsies. Totally against the law in Texas. But with Ed Clark and Linda Johnson and Connolly in control, uh, you know, everybody gets this idea that Connolly was this benevolent guy, poor guy, got hit by a bullet. Wrong. He was as crooked as they all were. Texas was as crooked as Louisiana ever was. You know, people think Louisiana and Mississippi were crooked. Texas was not only more crooked, they were more powerful, more money, big money uh, to help control everything. Did you ever listen to the phone calls with LBJ and J. Edgar Hoover? No, but this much I do know. Um, I told you earlier, uh, Kennedy planned to remove Hoover from office. Hoover and Johnson lived next door to each other. Yeah, 30 years. DC, right? They were best of friends. And they had what I call a deadly embrace. You know, each other knew that the other could be a threat, but they coexisted because of that. I call it a deadly embrace. Um, nobody was going to get the leg up on the other. And if Hoover ever met his match in life, it was Lyndon Johnson. Because Lyndon Johnson was as ruthless, maybe even more ruthless than Hoover was. But uh, one of the another one of the first things that Johnson did when he became came into office was name J. Edgar Hoover director for life. Okay, so he did away with the retire at seventy rule. You're the director for life, buddy, Al. And so there you go. Uh, it's called the Johnson treatment. It's a coined term about Johnson's way he would tower over people when he shook their hands and have this uh, embracing, intimidating personality. I th the reason I can't get with the Secret Service being in on some of that, if you're thinking Johnson did it, is because the account of the Secret Service member who had his shoes pissed on by Lyndon Johnson, if you've ever heard that story. And he says to the guy, that's my pr presidential prerogative. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, uh, he was famous for. Uh... Showing his balls his, to people, yeah, 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 yeah. He had a nickname for his uh, no, no, it was Jumbo, it was oh, okay. his nickname for his uh appendage, if you will. And uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm being politically correct. I told I really... a White House correspondent that someone that was on my show who studies like government ethics in the White House, he left during the Trump administration. He said it sounded like a conspiracy. So I put a disclaimer in his episode about the whole Johnson thing. I was like, no, we just don't. The American public is not just my generation. Everyone's so disconnected from how our presidents act behind closed doors. I mean, we expect all we want this presidential figure, a family man, all this. I'm like, that's not how it works. Kennedy cursed. Kennedy had affairs. Johnson cursed. Johnson had affairs. Everyone has had some type of corruption. If we can understand that they're human beings, we can get past the bullshit mask of presidentialness and actually look into some serious ethical concerns in our government. It's not that difficult. It isn't, you know, and th there's a reason for it. People are uncomfortable. People don't want to hear the uncomfortable truth. You know, there's a line in one of the Pink Floyd things about you know, comfortably numb. And that's what we as Americans are. We're comfortably numb. 
we don't want to hear anything that would that would upset us, that would go against the grain. But, you know, I am old enough to remember when it didn't matter who was in office as president and what party they were, you respected the office of president. Today in our country, you disrespect the president if he's not of your party. You don't, they're not held, they're not regarded in, in almost the awe that they used to be. The presidency used to be a magical almost figure to the American people. Uh, he was our king and, and revered as such. And back in the day, the parties worked together for the good of their people. You, you didn't, nobody had to encourage cross party cooperation. It, it existed naturally because back then they were servants of the people. I'm not saying they weren't corrupt because they probably were even then, but you know, power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I understand it. The biggest problem I have with anything the government's done and not admitted to uh, has to do with the 9-11, uh, you know, fiasco, which was, you know. We will do that on a different episode. I am not mixing JFK and 9-11 okay. together. Sorry. Okay. Okay. But there's a, I'm just going to tell you a quick vignette. Cheney had already ordered Flight 93 to be shot yeah, down. He, yeah. He, that's in his autobiography. He ordered one to be shot over the White House, too. Um, that was that they thought was a potential hijacked one. And the guy hesitated on the order. I'm like, then why can't you think that they one guy didn't hesitate and they did shoot down one of the planes? Well, here's, the, you know, my, my issue with the whole thing, Robbie. Damn, is, we're going right down that 9-11. Hole, I know, but we? just, just <laughs> admit it. Would you blame the government if, you know, if, if they just said, look, yes, we're horrified that we had to do it. But we had to get that plane out of the air by any means possible before it hit its next target. And might have killed thousands of other people. We had to do it. We're sorry. We'll make reparation, but we had to do it. And you can't sue them. You know, you can't take them to court. So just admit it. Admit the truth. But they don't want to do it anyway. We did go down the rat hole. I'm sorry, Robbie. No, that's fine. Um, no, it's 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 something like there's this idea of American exceptionalism that starts to come into play, and a lot of people now just boil down corruption on only political parties and stuff like that. Look, I'm a patriot at heart. I just believe in wanting to know the truth. To me, it doesn't scare me. It just makes me a little bit more like I don't know. I feel like I know I know now. You know what I mean? I feel like obviously there's a lot of controversial events in our history. You've written plenty of books about them, but they're isn't they're not controversial because they're big events that people just can't get over the grief. It's because the full picture is not being said to them, whether it's the JFK documents still not being released, whether it's the 9-11 stuff and unanswered questions to them, whether it's the whole conclusion with RFK and someone who's still on constantly being put up for parole and being denied. I mean, you have these things that are still they're not scarring up because of the fact they're not they're still being opened back up because of the fact that there's these lingering ties to this thing that has still not been a hundred percent, the full picture. And like, that's not the people's fault. That's not conspiracy fault. That's just government's fault. I mean, it could have easily wrapped up so many things. If they told you they killed JFK, what are you going to do? People will forget in a week. Anyway, a lot of people will be happy, but with the pace of everything moving now, it's it, it, for this, it's just better for the people that are still alive that have been following this for 60 years or however many years to get answers on. I mean, to me, that's what's important. I mean, I'm only in this two years, but I've soaked up a lot of information to be able to tell you about that whole climate of the 60s and 70s. When you understand that more, you look deeper into like, oh, yeah, it's 100 percent possible our government did something like that. Everything was against communism and at the fall of communism or if you were a communist was the biggest threat to America ever. Right. Well, <clears throat> there's um, one interesting thing uh, that Marina Oswald said uh, back in the day. Of course, she's still alive. Uh, uh, Gary knows her extremely well. Uh, she doesn't want to talk about things anymore. I, I, you know, She's tired of talking about it. But one of the things that she said, which I do believe, and you touched on this in your, your last remarks, she said, if uh, the American public, if, if the truth ever comes out, it may be the end of America as we know it. And why? I don't think people are going to forget in a week that the CAA was deeply involved uh, in the assassination of not only John F. Kennedy, but Robert F. Kennedy, JFK, Malcolm X. The list goes on. I don't, you know, the CIA responds for toppling governments all over the world 
that were not friendly to the United States, you know, assassinating uh, heads of state. Um, the CIA was started was started as nothing more than an intelligence gathering organization. Gather intelligence, disseminate intelligence. That's it. Instead, they grew into what Truman called the American Gestapo. And he's the guy that founded them. He said it was the worst mistake I ever made in my presidency was founding the CIA. You know, they become the American Gestapo. Think about that. So I do think, I do think, Robbie, I think that the truth, were it known, would shake the foundations of our country, uh, you know, to the to the boots, because it's and I've always said this, and you'll see me quoted. Uh, Kennedy's assassination, John F. Kennedy's murder was a Roman assassination. He was killed by our own. And uh, if the truth ever came out as to who was involved in the depth of their involvement, I, it would shake America. I don't, I hope it wouldn't ruin it, but it would shake it. You know, the CIA and the FBI need to be completely dismantled and rebuilt from the ground up under strict supervision of a government and citizenry organization so that their power remains in check forever instead of unchecked even today. I uh, One uh, interesting aside, after the death of Dag Hammarskjöld and his plane went down, Truman made a statement to the press that they never questioned, but Truman said they killed him. Notice how I said they killed him. No press asked him about it. Nothing like that at all. Just, okay. Um, I have to challenge you a little bit on the CIA killing people like MLK. You don't think that's um, the FBI with COINTELPRO, MLK, and then also Fred Hampton's assassination? We know they were bringing documents back and forth. Hoover was about infiltrating these groups and radicalizing them to attack each other. But to prevent, I think specifically the document says to prevent the rise of a black messiah that will unify the people. I think those are FBI stuff. I even think with um, RFK, CIA, maybe. And then JFK is definitely CIA, MLK, I'd say FBI. And then I would also say um, FBI with Fred Hampton, John Lennon, CIA, just like with RFK. I think that was CIA as well, too, because there's this MK Ultra stuff that gets linked in. And that's part of the CIA's uh, projects. Well, the um, yeah, whether it was FBI or CIA, it was it was an organization or a splinter organization within the organization. That was involved in all of those deaths. The establishment. The establishment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give it a name, right? It was. It was. It's a good name. Don't lose that. I know people want to go deep state, but establishment's perfect. Yeah, it really is because those are established government organizations that are supposed to be operating. Uh, they're supposed to be benevolent organizations. What's really more interesting too is that you know the CIA is not supposed to be a domestic organization. The FBI is not supposed to be a worldwide organization, and yet they both operate uh, in both of those spheres. It's like, wait a minute, what happened? H how did this happen? Uh, they're, they're ambidextrous. They can do both. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it is interesting. I will tell you that uh, uh, the CIA was absolutely involved uh, in RFK's assassination because there were only two people in the room that had guns. And uh, uh, Sirhan Sirhan was never behind, never behind Robert F. Kennedy, Eugene Fay Cesar, ex-CIA operative, who was hired two weeks before as a security guard, quote unquote, was directly behind him. And Dr. Thomas Noguchi, the coroner who did his autopsy, who did J uh, Robert K's autopsy, said he was killed from three shots from behind, uh, the, one of them being a close contact wound right behind the ear. And it was Cesar, CIA, who killed. And he was never even questioned by the LA police. Never even questioned. Now, that was completely CIA. And here's the fact. Why, what's the common thread with the, all the Kennedy killings? Just, you know, his brother, you know, JFK, his brother, and his son. Why were they all killed? Kennedy was killed for a lot of reasons. The others were killed because the CIA is never going to allow another Kennedy to have a seat in the White House, ever. Uh, even, even RFK Jr., uh, never going to happen. Uh, I was delighted when Jr. announced he's going to run as an independent. 
because he has no chance of being elected whatsoever, and they'll leave him alone. But when uh, uh, the guy in office now, I can't even say his name, Biden, said he couldn't have so, a, a secret service protection, he doesn't have the authority to do that. That is something, if you ran for president tomorrow, you know, you're going to have secret service protection by the law. And Biden denied it for RFK Jr. Let's be is, honest. Biden ain't denying anything. That's somebody else doing that one. Well, I, yeah, it's somebody going, you got to deny this. Yeah, yeah. Whispering in his ear. And he goes, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Yeah. No, he's asking for ice cream while someone's like, all right, we're just going to deny it and say it was Biden. Sign his name. Give me your hand and sign his name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm thrilled. I really am. I hope you have a, a huge circle of friends, Robbie. And I hope you're creating disciples within your circle uh, who will take up the charge. I don't know we'll ever find out in my lifetime. I'm 71 years old. I don't know if we'll ever find out in my lifetime who really was behind all this. I pray when you ask, you, you made a comment earlier about, you know, some of the first generation researchers, uh, you know, uh, Shaw, Robert Groden, people like that, myself, Gary, a second generation. Um, We'd all like to go to our graves knowing that the truth finally did come out and hope that the repercussions were not too bad. Um, in my uh, dedication for the Operation Mockingbird book, which just came out, uh, I say that we are headed for another revolution here in America. It's either going to be through ballots or, or bullets. I hope it's ballots, um, but it's coming because... The, the chasm that they've intentionally built between the haves and the have-nots gets wider, deeper, and more hostile every day. There's going to be an uprising of some sort. It could be it could be a military coup. I don't know what, but something's coming, and uh, I hope it's with ballots rather than bullets. I'm going to have you back on probably to talk about RFK and some other things. I want to get you and Gary together and at some point, but I appreciate the time you gave me today to talk about some things. So hopefully I give you a little bit of, um, you know, hope for some of the generations to catch up on some research. It takes a while. It took me a while to understand it all, but I think a lot more people, I think more people are interested than you would think, but I don't think the stigma is what they like about the topic. It's it's not something you can just pop out. For me, I don't care. I'll pop it out in random conversations sometimes. But the whole political, deep, parapolitics side of things, of the weird ways of how things work and are connected, that is not something that is commonplace general public discussion, which I think it needs to start being because you need to recognize evil no matter if it's on your side of the political fence or not. So. I appreciate the time you gave me to sit down and talk about um, your perspective and your information as well, too. But is there a place where people can find your books and then anything else you'd like to promote? Yeah, primarily, uh, they're available on Amazon, all of them, including the one that just came out on Operation Mockingbird. Um, and that's interesting because it looks into the deaths of people like uh, Dale Boggs, Allen. Uh, Dorothy Gigallon, Princess Diana, yeah. uh, uh, what they let her sit dying for almost two hours after they pulled her out of the car. If they had taken her right to the hospital, she'd be alive today. Uh, horrible. But people like that, we look into, you know, their deaths and how how the press has treated those deaths, what the press has said about those deaths. But uh, I, I will leave you this with this, Robbie, and I'm, I'm honored to to uh, for you to share this forum with me. Um, uh, I, I'd like you to, on behalf of Gary and I, if you find an organization that wants us to come speak, well, that we're there. We're not looking for honorariums or anything else like that. We're looking for a chance to to, to tell our story. Um, but the next time someone says, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, tell them, no, I'm not. I'm a truth seeker. That's what I am. Okay. And uh, their eyebrows might raise a little bit because I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist. I consider myself someone who all I'm looking for is the truth. I had a I had a skeptic on my show that when we were still talking about he called me a conspiracy theorist and I go okay well I am I guess because I started naming a bunch of stuff and he goes oh well that's like real historical stuff I'm like yeah but that's government that's conspiracy MK Ultra's conspiracy because we don't have documentation to back it up and he kind of starts going silent on me I was like there's a disconnect when people do not know their political history stuff that is acknowledged church committee for instance heart attack gun 
I called that a conspiracy, and then I watched the video, and I go, damn, that's nuts. So it's open game for me. I'll sit and listen to some of these you know, theories that people have. There's obviously some I don't believe flat earth, nah. But there's real government stuff where it's like, yeah, our government does do some insane stuff, but it's also a lot of other governments too. But I don't live over there. I live here, and I would like to correct what's over here. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely, and you said something just uh, warmed me. You said, I'm a patriot, and God love us, we need more patriots in this country. We do. Greatest country on earth, it's far from perfect, but I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But I'll tell you, in recent years, I've given a lot of thought to moving offshore somewhere uh, because I just don't like what's happening in this country. Um, I also believe that pendulums swing one way and swing the other, and I hope Slowly but surely, we're starting to swing that pendulum back to uh, those days in the early 60s and late 50s when everybody in America was a patriot, regardless of party. All they believed, you know, uh, you know, two chickens and two cars in the garage, a chicken on the pot and blah, blah, blah. Uh, American patriots, we need more. We really do. I see them whenever it's 4th of July, but the other 364 days, I don't see any of them. Uh, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad. It really I'll, is. I'll link oh, up. I started, by the way, you started, where can you get the books? So the books are on Amazon.com, and they're also available on our website, which is www.thejfkassassination.com. And not only are our books available there, there's tons of other information that doesn't come from us, uh, that comes from other great sources about these assassinations and who may have been behind them, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a I'll call it a learning website as well. But th those are the two places to uh, you can get our books. I'm going to link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.